so he's doing double duty today. You pray for him. I, I was uh, thinking about today and preaching day. Of course, this is the 4th of July weekend. And uh, I, I sat and watched the, on television the, uh, the uh, White House and uh, the president and saw him make the speech and they did a tribute to on the 4th of July. And I, I don't know whether you saw it, but it was very inspiring to, to see and uh, to remember the history of our land. I remember growing up uh, and what 4th of July meant to me as a child. I was, my folks were from Marceline, Missouri. It's a little railroad stop in, in, uh, in Missouri. It literally is that in Kansas. It's 100 miles from Kansas City and the old steam engines had to stop and get water about 100 miles is about all they could go on the water that they'd gather up. And so they, they built this town called Marceline. That's where my folks were. And every 4th of July, we would go up there. And, and my father was in the military, and as a child, I, I, it was one of my highlights of the year because they celebrated the 4th of July four days in a row. They start on the 1st, and they'd always in the, there was a big park in the town square. It looked big to me when I was little. And uh, it was a huge park. It had an old railroad steam engine, a big pond out there. And, and then they would set up a, a carnival. And uh, we'd get to ride the rides and, and the Ferris wheels and all the different things that they had. They cost us uh, 25 cents for a ride. And, uh, but, you know, and back in the day, all my parents and, or my grandparents, my parents never gave me anything. <laughs> as far as money's concerned, uh, they gave me a lot. Don't misunderstand me. But my grandparents always furnished the money every day for the rides. And they, they'd give us 50 cents a day. That meant uh, we could ride it twice if we didn't drink a Coke. And so we'd get to ride the rides twice. I remember walking to the park one day and, and my grandfather and grandmother were standing behind me and, and my grandfather took that half a dollar and he flipped it and, and it landed in front of me. And I picked it up and I turned around and looked at him and I said, look, see what I found. And they said, well, what about that? And I says, that means I've got a dollar for a day with the half a dollar that y'all give me to go with this half a dollar that I found. I, I didn't get the dollar. I had to, I had to, I just got to ride twice. But it was a wonderful time. But, but the 4th of July just was, it, it was all about fun. It was about family. It was about, you know, the rides. And all of my family was from that town, my cousins and everything. We, I, it was my highlight of the year. I, every 4th of July, I looked forward to it. I didn't really understand the significance of the date until I became older. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that 4th of July. Uh, last night in preparing for the message, uh, thinking about the 4th and such, and after the speech, I, I, got the, uh, I got the Declaration of Independence out, and that's what the date commemorates. It commemorates the signing of our Declaration of Independence. And, uh, and so they did it on the 4th of July, 244 years ago. I've seen the actual document that they signed. It's on display in Washington, D.C. And my daughter and, and I were, were up there and we went into whatever building it was. I can't remember the name of it. But we went in there and we saw all those documents, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. And they've got them where you can look at them on display. But I, I wanted to read to you this morning the preamble of, of, of that great document. Just a few sentences here, or one sentence. It says, 
we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And of course, many of us remember that, and of course, that's not all that was in there, but that's, that's the way it starts. It sets the platform for it. And I wanted to draw from that statement that all men are created equal. I want you to know our founding fathers set the bar very high for all of us. And then they invoke the creator's name. And they say that he's given us certain rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the other part of the doc document, these 56 men that signed this document, they pledged their life, their fortune, and their sacred honor to this cause, to this cause. And they put it all on the line for you and I. John Hancock, of course, he's remembered because he, his signature is larger than anybody else's. After they all signed the document, they asked Mr. Hancock, why did he sign his name in such bold print? And he said, well, I hear King George is having a little trouble seeing. I wanted to make sure he recognized my name. And they presented it to the King of England. And so these men, they set the bar very high for all of us in America. They, they set a standard. And I want you to know that God already set that standard and they're just repeating what God put on in the Word of God. All men are created equal. They're, they're, everybody is important. All lives matter. Everybody here is important to God. And everybody here, God has a purpose for their life. And it's up to us to find that purpose and to fulfill it. Well, I, I want you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Ephesians. And stand with me when you get there. And I want to read the passage that the Lord put on my heart. I'm, when a pastor asked me to preach, I immediately knew which passage of Scripture that God wanted me to go to. It's a passage that I've, that I've, that I draw a lot of strength from over the years. It's in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and we'll read 18 verses. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, <coughs> hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, uh, ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show for the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And verse 10 is my text for the day. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off, are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made us both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you again for an opportunity to preach. I pray you'd anoint me afresh and anew and give me unction to preach this morning. Thank you for these people that are here today and a part of this service. For those that are on the internet with us, I pray you'd bless them also. I pray you'd use me. Lord, without you I can do nothing, but you said through you I can do all things. So I pray that you'd preach through me today. Bless now. And we'll praise you and thank you for all you do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. When we look at this statement that was made in the preamble, we see it repeated in these passages of Scripture about the importance of everybody. And so we see that we're all really the same. I realize there are differences between us, but we're all, we're all pretty much the same. Uh, we all have the same physical needs. We need food, water, and air, and, and clothes, and we all have the same, basically the same physical needs to survive in this world, and, and we're, all, we're all pretty much the same psychologically, or at least we start out that way, I think. Uh, we, have, we have a great need to be loved. God, when he created man, he, he made a statement. He says, it's not good for him to be alone. And in creation, he made everything in preparation for man so that when he was created, he would have everything that he needed. But he said he needs one more thing. And he created woman after man because it's not good for us to be alone. We need to be loved and we need to feel like we're wanted and not rejected. We need each other. Not just this church that needs each other. The world needs each other. We, he made us that way for a purpose and for a reason. And psychologically, there's, we, 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 for us to be healthy mentally, we need others around us. And spiritually, uh, there's a spiritual need that we all have. And it begins with salvation, but it doesn't end with salvation. It starts with all men need to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His, his, this gift that's been made available, it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you came from. God loves you. God wants to save you. He, he desires to, 
to have his way and will in your life. He has a, a predestinated place that he wants to bring us all to, and that is to be formed in the likeness and image of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every, everybody's a candidate for salvation. And you can't purchase salvation. You can't work for salvation. It is just something that must be received. It is a gift from God. And it even goes to the point of calling it a free gift. Free gift. And so anybody that's trying to uh, make themselves acceptable to God, it is impossible for you to do. You must come to him in faith. You must trust him as your savior. That's what salvation is. And so, but it doesn't end there. He has a purpose for your life. The first step is salvation, but it does not end there. I, I used to think whenever I first got saved, it would be good if the Lord came today. And I'd just be out of here. Wouldn't have to go through the process of dying to get to heaven. And, uh, and I, the question was, I asked myself in my mind, why is he leaving me here? Right after I got saved, I looked at the preacher and I said, I said, uh, what do I do now? And he gave me a book and he said, this is what you do now. See, a new birth is a beginning. It is a start. It is not the finish. It is the beginning of a, a new life with God. And he has a purpose and he has a plan. There's a reason that we're here. Everybody has a purpose in your life. Everybody is important to God. Everyone, God has a will for their life. And it's, it's pretty much the same for all of us. It may be different means and different position. I never will forget going to missionary school and, and a man named uh, 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 Hatfield. Uh, we didn't have any McCoys there, but he was Hat, Benny Hatfield, an evangelist, and he was teaching us missionary candidates. He was telling us, he was saying, he said, don't seek a position in your life of serving God. But seek a purpose and find out what the purpose God has for you. And God will put you in the position to fulfill that purpose if you surrender to it. He has a purpose for each and every one of us. And we have different positions. But it doesn't mean that anyone is less valuable to God than anyone else. No one, no one has to take a second class seat or an inferior position one to the other. We're all here to serve God equally. And we all have our place of service. And we all have, but it all comes into one big purpose, if you will. And then there's a, uh, it's not just a psychological need, but the purpose that God has for us to serve him. And that's what I want to talk to you about, is the purpose that God has for you. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, these are precious verses, verses to me because when I was a lost man, I got saved January 5th, 1980 as the greatest day of my life. Never be another day like it. And these were the last two verses that I heard <laughs> as a lost man. I memorized them. I used to quote them all the time. And, and when I would try to tell other people about what Christ did for me, I always would get to these verses before I'd give an invitation for them to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I never would go to verse 10. 
And then God highlighted it to me one day that it doesn't end with verse 9. It, it, it starts with verse 9, but it doesn't end with verse 9. In verse 10, it, it makes a statement. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now I want you to know salvation, when you look at salvation, God saved me for a purpose, but there's so many people that are not fulfilling that purpose or they never really got saved. You have to understand that, that, that when we look at, look at this plan of salvation, God gave us a verse in first, Second Corinthians chapter 7. Now, you don't need to turn there, but let me read it to you what it says. It says in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7 and, and verse 10, he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world work at death. For me to get saved, first I have to understand it's a free gift and I have to humble myself to receive it. I can't do anything to earn it, but I also have to understand I'm accountable for my sins and for my wrongdoing. When it said godly sorrow uh, bringeth repentance that need not to be repented of, that brings salvation, what is he saying? There's so many people today that think salvation is simply me praying a prayer and there's no sorrow for what I've done. And if there's no sorrow, then there's no repentance. All these things are essential for salvation. I, I didn't know any of this when I first got saved, but they all happened looking back at it. I can, godly sorrow is this. I, I deal with, with prisoners, and many of you know I'm a missionary to prisons, and, and I, I, uh, I, I deal with a lot of people. I remember going to a lot of intake units and that's where they're first locked up and they do a diagnostic test on them for what prison they're going to send them to and what classification. And I want you to know I've noticed that when I go to these intake units, everybody's looking for the Lord. Everybody's looking around and saying, and why? Because they've had time to sit back and examine their lives. They've, God has sat them down, if you will. And they, they're... For the first time, many of them have been sober for a long time and, and not just sober from the drugs and the alcohol, but taking life seriously now. And they've been brought to a place to where they're going to have to be accountable for their actions, if you will. And so they, and a lot of them are, are reaching for something, but that doesn't mean that they're going to get saved because a lot of them are just sorry that they got caught. They're not sorry that they did it. They're not, you know, if, if you're just sorry that you got caught, then you're going to try and figure out a way you can get away with it next time. It's not just about being sorry for the circumstances of what sin has brought in your life. Certainly there is that sorrow. But if you're not sorry, there has to be a time when you come to God and you say, I'm not just sorry for the consequences of my sin but I'm sorry that I did it. I'm sorry. That man or that woman, a change comes upon them. Why? 
because now then they realize they're responsible for what they did. And there is going to be a day of judgment when there is going to be an accountability. And if you're just sorry for your circumstances and you prayed that prayer because you thought it was a good idea, you're, there's so many of them come in and they pray that prayer and there's no change and there's no difference in their life because there's no repentance in their life. Repentance is a change of direction, a change of mind that produces a different path in your life. I was once headed this way, but now I'm going this way. I was once headed towards death and hell and destruction and all the pleasures of sin, but now I'm headed towards God in heaven and, and everything that is involved in that. And that is essential for salvation. It's not just you praying a prayer. Oh, you will pray a prayer. I remember when they, when they read these two verses, that preacher looked at me and I broke down and started crying. And now I could say to him, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> he looked back at me and said, you don't have to and smiled. <laughs> and I prayed this simple prayer, Lord, help me. That's all I knew to say. And immediately a change came over me. All these things happened in my life, though I didn't know what they were at the time that they happened. But it's the work of God, salvation is. It's a free gift and I became the recipient. And I thought everything was grand and wonderful and we're finished now. And God's saying, no, I've got a plan for your life. You belong to me now. I have a purpose for it. And we find that purpose in verse 10. When it, when it talks about, uh, talks about uh, look at it with me if you will. Look, see what it says. It says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So now then I began to think about what it means to do good works. What it means to be a Christian, what it means to have God. Yeah, I was, I was received a letter from a, from a prisoner at the Anahuac jail. A lady wrote to our church and, and she made a request for a Bible and uh, she had some other things in the letter. And, and so I thought, well, I'll send her a Bible. And then I thought to myself, I said, no, I'm going to go up there. I'm, it's not like I've got a lot to do these days in ministry and such as that. It's not that I'm inactive. It's just that I thought I'll just go up there and see. So I called ahead and I said, if I deliver this Bible, can I, can I sit down with this woman and have a ministerial counsel with her? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you can come. They gave me an appointed time because they had to clear out the visitation room and there was... There was a glass wall between us where we could talk, you know, and we could communicate. And I went up there and I, and I feel like I'm representing the Lord whenever I go do this work. So I had a suit and tie on and, and such as that and went, went in and talked to him. And immediately when I walked in and that, told the lady who I was, came up there to visit, she said, are you her lawyer? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm her preacher. I said, she says, oh, well, then you get... You get an hour visit, not a 30-minute visit. And I said, well, that's good. That's good. And so, and so then they, they told me where to go. And, all the, and I asked them, can you get this Bible to her? And they said, sure, you can get this Bible to her and all that. We'll make sure she receives it. 
And so I sat down to talk. When she, I could see her when she came through the door, she had this worried look on her face. I mean, distressed look on her face when she walked through the door to get into the area where the visit was. And, and she thought I was her lawyer too. She was scared. And so I said, no, I'm, I'm, I've come here to talk to you about the letter you wrote. I have the letter you wrote. And so I began to visit with her, and, and it came down to the point of salvation. I wanted to hear her testimony. I read what she said in the letter, but it wasn't real clear about when she got saved. And so I wanted to question her and make sure that we started on step number one. And so I said, well, tell me about when you got saved. She said, well, I've been locked up twice since I got saved. I said, really? And so I said, well, where were you when you got saved? She said, well, I was, I was listening to you preach. I said, really? And she said, you remember you gave the invitation. You said, raise your hand if you want to be slave. And saved and said, I, I raised my hand and you, you dealt with us and I, I prayed and asked the Lord to come into my heart. And well, that immediately my mind goes, so why you been in jail two more times? And then she, I didn't ask the question, but she looked at me and she said, have patience with me. She said, I'm, I know I'm saved. She said, she said, but I'm homeless. I went back out to the streets and I was ashamed to come to your church. I didn't have the right clothes. Now we know, however you come. Hello? Yeah? And she said, I don't have any place to live. I was out on the streets and she said, I can't explain it, but I always knew the Lord was with me after that night. She even mentioned Jeremy's preaching and what an impression it made upon all the ladies in that dorm. Praise God for, for that. And she, she, she said, he was always with me, she says, and I knew I wasn't doing right, she, but she finally came to the point, here, here was what happened. She said, I realized I am a drug addict and I need help. And that's why I wrote the letter. I want you to know God has patience with us. We... We as Christians expect something out of folks when they get saved. But do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember what you did when you got saved? I want you to know the promise is from God. It's a free gift. And when we get saved, he never takes it back, irregardless of our action. God is true and faithful to his word and to all of his promises. And so she... And it was a blessing, and now I'm going once a week to visit her and disciple her, and, and you pray for her, her court date comes up at the end of July. And I'm sitting there thinking, she's got a lot of needs. She has no place to go, no support system. She has no job. She has no money. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Lord. We'll, we'll, I, I said, I can't make you any promises other than we'll just do what we can. That's the way my church is. I'm so glad I go to a church that just loves people where they're at and is willing to be patient with people and give them opportunities to serve God. You have to remember when it says we are his workmanship, it takes, he's trying to form us into the image of his son. It takes a lifetime and some of us may take us longer than that. But he's still working. I remember talking to a, 
a prisoner friend of mine who, who was not a blessing to me in the prison. And he calls me out of the blue. I was a little shocked he called me. He was one of my thorn in the fleshes that I was dealing with at the Cleveland prison. And God just kept leading me back to this man to, 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 to try and help him. And there were times we, we came to, to harsh words towards one another. And so he calls me. And I'm wondering what the call is about, you know. And, and he said, I just want you to know how much I appreciate what you did. I said, wow, wow. And he said, and I'm not call his name. And, and I was talking to him. He's telling me all that God was doing in his life. And I couldn't help, I had to ask. I said, are you saved? He said, yeah, I'm saved. And he gave me a solid testimony of his salvation. He said, I haven't always acted like a Christian, though, since I got saved. He said, but be he said, I still have a lot of problems. But thank you. Thank you. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I told him this. I said, well, depends on which day you catch me, whether you think I'm a Christian or not, too. You know, we, there's something about pulling the mote out of your own eye before you or the beam out of your own eye before you get the mote out of your brother's eye. Aren't you glad God's patient with us? Aren't you glad he's long-suffering and that his promises are eternal and that he will keep his word irregardless if we keep our word or not? Irregardless of who we are. But I want you to know that we need to get involved in this work that's going on. We need to be we need to be willing to go along with the program that God has set up for us. I want you to know he uh, began to think about what it means and, and how he disciples us and how he's working on us to change us and to make us, make us not like we should be and what we should be for him. Turn, turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, familiar passage of Scripture. Look, look at what it says in verse 17 and 18. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man say, uh, may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show, you, uh, show thee my faith by my works. And I want you to know, uh, our faith proves who we are. But no one can see our faith. They can see our works. Remember what it said in Ephesians? about ordained unto good works. The word unto is an unusual word. A lot of versions change it to to, but they, they take away from the scriptures when they do that. It's not a word that commonly used today, but the word to means to receive or to accept or to take into possession in this case. But the word unto does not mean that same thing. It means that you add it to you. It becomes a part of you. The first time you see the word unto is when God presented Eve to Adam and it, they became one. And so your works should be something naturally that flows out of you because of the work that God is doing in you. And so we see that, that our works prove who we are. I can say I have faith. I can say I'm a Christian. Or I can prove it to the world. They have to, for people to believe what we're saying, they have to trust us. They have to look at us and see 
who we are before they're going to listen to us. And if they don't see our works, why would they think there's anything to what we say we believe? Faith is essential. And if you have real faith in God, faith, the natural production from faith is good works. And so he's, we're his workmanship. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12. And you need not turn there. You can, uh, for time's sake, I must read them quickly. It says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I want you to know that now then he requires of us to make sacrifices. He wants to, to increase our faith daily, but he also wants to us to present ourselves to him a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice is, is not a dead sacrifice. It's alive unto God. It's not that we die for God. It's that we live for God. And we die to self. And what this will do for us, it shows to the, the world what is that perfect, good, and acceptable will of God. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all men to be saved. And that is what's good and acceptable. And after that, he wants all men to present their bodies a living sacrifice. He wants to strengthen our faith. It proves who we are. He wants us to make the sacrifice. It proves to the world who he is by our sacrifice. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, it says this. When, when you look at this passage of scripture in Hebrews 6, in, in verses 9, it says, But, beloved, we are persuaded of better things of you, things that accompany salvation, Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye minister to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you should show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so we see... That love is the final proof uh, that, that we serve God. This is, this is our purpose in life in, in three basic steps. And it's the same that we've heard over and over and over again. And we must continually put it into practice into our lives. We must be diligent about it and not be slothful. We need to love the world. We need to love those that hate us, that lie about us, that persecute us, that despitefully use us. I, I look at the news and I'm not going to get political, but when I see everything that's going on in the world, I see that, that we have a great opportunity. Did I not say we're all common? Do I not say we all need love? We all need to be accepted and not rejected. And I look at those people who are causing the most trouble and I'm thinking to myself, all they need is Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the answer to all the problems. And they're all important to God. And we need to love them. It is an opportunity for us to, to do a great work. I can remember when I got saved, times were similar to this. 
If you think things are bad now, you should have been around when Jimmy Carter was president. What did it do? It showed me that there was a need in my life because things were so uncertain in the world and the much tribulation. It's a great opportunity for the church to show forth uh, our faith, to, to make our sacrifice and to love the lost. Oh, that we might do the work. I remember when 911 hit, I was in prison in, as a visitor. I was in prison in a revival in Boonville, Missouri. And everybody left home earlier and I prayed earnestly. I said, Lord, do you want me to go home and cancel the meeting? And the Lord said, no, I want you to stay. And so I was by myself. All the team had gone home and I was 600 miles from home. And, and I went to eight house in this prison. It's locked down. And so there was a a young man at the end of the run and I was talking to different men and some of the men were, were, were of a different persuasion about God and were ranting and raving where you couldn't hear what they were saying. Now, I was trying to deal with all that and I couldn't help but the anger was welling up within me uh, at these individuals and, and then I heard this young man cry out to me, Hey preacher, can you come talk to me? And I said, I'll be there in a minute. I answered him very, very bluntly and harshly. And uh, I came down there and I walked up there and I said, what do you want? I just thought he wanted to harass me like the others were. And he said, preacher, he said, is the world coming to an end out there? He said, I'm lost. Can you show me how to be saved? And I had to say, just a minute. And I had to step to the side and say, it's what I'm here for. They really don't care how much you know till they see how much you care. It's an old cliche, but it's very truthful. And I turned around and witnessed to that man and he got saved. And it was, January, it was September the 12th of whatever year that was, 2001. I went back to that same prison, was there on the same date a year ago, saw that same man, but he was sitting at a picnic table on the yard. He wasn't in lockdown anymore. I walked up to him and he said, you remember me? And I said, how could I forget you? You got saved on this day a year ago. He said, I sure did. I said, how's it going? I think it's going a little better for you because of where you're at now. He said, it's going much better for me. Thank you for coming by. There's a world out there that needs Jesus and we have it. And we need to love them. What love does, it makes us fruitful. If some have compassion, making a difference. Oh, I want to spend my life making a difference in the lives of others. And so lastly, I want you to see that purpose in our life is a purpose that we have while we're here. But that's not the end. The end of it is found in verses 16 through 18 of Ephesians. If you're there, look with me, please. And he that hath reconciled uh, both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to them which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit 
unto the Father. And so you think about creation made in his likeness in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. Right after that it says it was the cool of the day and God came to the garden to walk with Adam. But Adam was in hiding from him. It wasn't that God didn't know where he was at when he called to him. But something had come between him and his creator, his father, if you will. And it was sin. And it didn't take God by surprise. He, he knew it was going to take place. But when it took place, he had already made. He had already made a way for him to still have fellowship with him. Our purpose in life is to, while we're here, we're to win souls to Christ. We're to have strong faith. It gives us strength to serve God. We're to make a sacrifice and, and it proves to the world who God is. And we are to love the lost and other Christians and such as that so that we can be fruitful in our life and bear fruit and accomplish the purpose that God has given us. But in this passage of Scripture, it tells us the purpose of all of this is so that we can walk with God. I used to think, boy, it'd be wonderful when I get to heaven, I'll actually get to walk with God. And then I found out that was really not very informed on what, how, what God does in our life. I found this to be true after over 40 years of being saved. I can walk with him here. And I don't have to wait till I get to heaven. I have access to the Father, according to this scripture, by one spirit. Woo! <laughs> and we see I have a purpose in my life, but now I also, and the purpose in, it, in its finality is to be with God. He, 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 he wants to have fellowship with me. And so we see that in John 15, 16, the fellowship that we get with God is, is uh, chapter 15, verse 26, I'm sorry, is that we need comfort. I, I just had the passing of a, a very close friend. Knew him for 36 years. And, and we used to be very, very close, but because of distance, we haven't been as close as we were in the past. But he passed away very suddenly and you know how you get in life, you think somebody's always going to be there and then when they're gone and, and they're removed rather quickly, abruptly, and you don't know what's going on, and you, you go through this sorrow. The Bible says we're to sorrow, but we're not to sorrow as those that have no hope. And we're to comfort one another with the Lord's return. And I want you to know while we're here, God fellowships through, uh, with us through the Comforter. Jesus made a statement in his departing. He said, I, it's needful for me to go. It's better for me to go. Because if I don't go, then I, the Father won't send the Comforter. And we have the fellowship of God with us every day. And we can fulfill that every day. We can walk with God. We can fellowship with him. We can, we can talk with him. And now turn to the book of Job. And we'll finish there. Job chapter number 23. Familiar passage of scripture to, to a lot of us, I'm sure. And I've preached from it many different times and felt led of the Lord. Job was a man that, that basically 
as far as I know, did everything right. He, he was a man that issued evil. He was a man that sacrificed unto God. Some things were happening in Job's life that he didn't really understand. And in this chapter, he's, he's answering an argument made by a supposed friend named Eliphaz. Eliphaz was a friend who came to comfort him, but rather, instead of comforting him, he criticized him. And he said that all this was come upon him because of sin in his life and, and such as that. And Job is, in response to his friend, he, he, he makes some statements that would apply to each one of us. In verse 6 he says, will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put his strength in me. God, God, when it, whenever God deals with us and he's forming us into the likeness and image of Christ, there's some hard things we have to go through. There's things that we don't understand in forming us. And so then when we go through those things, sometimes it seems like he's nowhere around, but be sure we heard the other night he's always there he's always working you can always trust him and he says and Job's makes a statement he said he he's not against me no matter what comes in our life God is always on your side the world doesn't understand that but he's on their side too if they'll come to him while there's still hope but I want you to know, he said, he said, he won't plead against me with his power like you're doing. He, he'll put his strength in me. Look at verse 10, what he says. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when, when I am tried, uh, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When you refine gold, what are you doing? You're, you're applying the heat to it. And what are you doing? You're trying to remove the impurities. Gold always, always represents deity. And it's no mistake when he tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And the things that we go through and the things that we suffer for a little time while we're here, what is it? God's trying to use those things in our lives to refine us into the image of his blessed son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of heaven. And so we see, he says, when he had tried me. And then, Here's the final purpose God has in forming us into the likeness and image of his son. But he is in one mind and who can turn him and what his soul desireth, even that he doeth, for he performeth the things that are appointed for me and many such things are with me. Therefore I'm troubled at his presence. I consider I, I'm afraid for the Lord maketh my heart soft. And the Almighty troubleth me. Woo! <laughs> Hold my mule while I shout a while. Listen to me. What's he doing? He's making your heart soft. He wants to make your heart soft so that you'll be more like him. Jesus many times moved with compassion and driven to tears when he would look at the multitudes and they're lost as sheep scattered without a shepherd. 
And so he wants to commune with us. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us so that we'll be more like the image of It's a lifelong journey. He never gives up, by the way. If you're his child, he's not quit on you yet. And if you're lost, he can still save you and you can get on the right road. Hey, it's great opportunities today to serve God. I, I think of 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Everything that comes in my life and everything that comes in your life, it has a purpose, it has a reason, and we need to be a thankful people today. We need to look at all the possibilities and what God's doing and ask God to use us so that others might know Christ.